Thanks for stopping by. I'm Corey Edwards, writer, director, comedian. I keep the hoodie factories in business. The hoodie manufacturers? The purveyors of hoodies. I like hoodies. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, My guest today, I think he once said that hoodies are the spanks for men. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if they're slimming, but they sure cover up a lot. And you know what? When you need to take a nap in a corner somewhere, you pull that hood over your head and, uh, and I'm gone. I'm gone. And also, nice pockets in the front. Nice pockets in the front where you can put your phone or forget your keys, <coughs> if you will. Um, we are, we are um, yeah, today's topic is hoodies. Nothing but an hour of me talking about hoodies today. Uh, would you like that? Would that be, would that, would that make my listenership go up? Um, the, uh, well, we got a lot of things to talk about. I, I found it interesting that we are... Um, uh, putting this show out on a Friday the 13th. I don't think that's ever happened before. So if you're listening to this the day that it comes out, Friday the 13th. I don't know what that means. I'm not that superstitious of a person. Um, it never feels good, though, to wake up and see that on your calendar. Um, it always takes me by surprise. I, I looked ahead this time. It's the same with um, um, April 1st. April Fool's. I never plan ahead for April Fool's, so I never have a great prank. I'm not, like, cooking something up the week before because I'm always in March mode. And then all of a sudden it's April Fools and I'm not ready. I think I think maybe the we should combine Friday the 13th and April Fools just together. We should take the traditions of April Fools, the pranking and move that over to Friday the 13th. That way all the bad stuff that happens to you is cuz your friend was playing a prank on you. So it's kind of funny and kind of disastrous all at the same time. It's April Fools the 13th. Oh no. I don't even know how that got started. Um I wish I'd done some research. Uh, why Friday the 13th is bad luck. I just know that when Jason wakes up and he sees that on the calendar, he slips on that hockey mask and says, ah, today's the day to go find a campsite, uh, which I, I've never seen any of those movies. I do not like horror movies. I do not like slasher movies. I like thrillers and movies that are slightly unsettling. <laughs> but uh, I watch a I watch a trailer to a horror movie. And while I'm sitting in the theater, I go, no, sir, not for me. Nope. That's why I went and saw Nope, because I thought that movie understands me. It's going to unsettle me. You're going to unsettle me, Jordan Peele. You're going to make me say Nope a couple of times in the movie. And uh, I just know somehow uh, I'm not going to be spattered in blood, at least. Um, We are going to be talking about a, a movie that has stood the test of time. I like to break down movies that have stood the test of time, or they've come out recently, and they are so amazingly successful. They've knocked down all the barriers and reached all the audience members, young and old, that I say, we need to break this movie down and see why it's so successful. And I think this movie that we're going to talk about today uh, has done that. Uh, But it's from the 80s. And um, the 80s keep coming back. I don't know what it is because now my kids look back at the 80s the way when I was in high school, I looked back at the 50s. You know, you would have fun with culture from the 50s. Uh, you know, uh, in my 1980s growing up, um, I would pull from uh, 50s music. I loved doo-wop. Um, I loved a lot of the uh, the way they dressed in the 50s. So I think my kids are looking back at the 80s and they find it to be an idealistic time. Maybe it wasn't. There was a lot of bad stuff that happened in the 80s, I know. But, you know, a lot of the movies and the music 
um, as they put on their school dances, it's like, why aren't the kids dancing? Uh, we need to get the kids dancing, dancing more. My wife was like, get that eighties music out. And some of the nineties, some boy band stuff from the nineties, some Wilson Phillips, you know, I know, but the eighties, man, the eighties, uh, what do they still say? It slaps. I don't know if kids still say that. Maybe, maybe post Will Smith Oscars event. We don't say something slaps. Maybe now we just say that Will Smith slaps. <laughs> That's the only thing we say now. Man, you know that Will Smith? Man, he slaps. I'm not talking about his music. I'm talking about him. He slaps, man. So stay away from him. Uh, and keep his wife's name out of your mouth, by all means. Uh, but the 80s, the 80s music. And we were uh, on the way to school today. The kids get to pick the music. And uh, my son, Nate, he picked some uh, 8-bit video game soundtrack music, but it is full of synth. It is full of 8-bit beep bop boops. And I said, man, this is kind of, you got, you can realize this is 80s music. He's like, nah, this is 2023 music. And I'm like, but what is 2023 music anyway? I feel like 2023 is a giant buffet table of music from past decades. And we're all picking from it and mixing it up and remixing it because I turn on social media any day, and I see people pulling still from that Rick Astley song, still pulling from a Madonna song. So um, 80s never dies. 80s never dies. It's almost like a magical world you can go visit. I think it's why Ready Player One, the book and the movie, said we're going to always go to that 80s world uh, in this virtual playland that that the guy in Ready Player One created. So, uh, because it, it is almost like its own little standalone decade. It's a little island of culture that you can go visit whenever you want. Uh, and we're going to visit it today. Uh, I don't have much more to say uh, about that other than um, as we look forward, as we build things with, as artists with music or with art or with film, we're always pulling from the past. Um, you know, even, even uh, Star Wars, which I love so much, you wouldn't call it a lot of sci-fi where you go to other planets, you get on spaceships, you think of it as a future movie. And he made it very clear this is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And even the cultures that he created in Star Wars, he's pulling from old cultures, ancient cultures. So while you might get in a spaceship, you're also uh, got a guy with uh, um, his, his head and body wrapped like uh, they do out in the desert. Um, from um, hundreds of years ago. So, so uh, I find that interesting that um, the best versions of, of the fantasy cultures that we create are kind of the past meets the future because the present sucks. We don't want to be in the present. So we want to take a little bit of the past and dust it lightly over the future and that becomes something new and something fantastical. Um, but but uh, today we're going to talk about uh, one of the greatest films of all time. I think uh, one of the greatest teen movies of all time in that golden John Hughes era uh, that he made so many of those teen movies. This is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And I think it, uh, well, we'll talk about why it, it exceeds its genre. It reaches beyond the 80s because my kids love it today. My kids watched it this year. And I think my son Elliot said it's one of my favorite movies ever. And of course, we've got our guest, Nick Flora, who's been on before. He was my first guest ever. And I know that this is one of his favorite films of all time. So when it was time to break it down, I thought, I'm going to call Nick. All right, so let's get to it.
He took a day off and we all said, yes, please. Ferris Bueller changed, I think, the way we look at teen movies. And here to talk about it is my good friend, Nick Flora. Nick? Hey, Corey. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. It's, I, you know, if I was going to talk about this, I was going to talk about it with you. Because oh. you have made it very clear how much this movie means to you. It really does. That's I can't tell you how much that means to me that 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 I am the the person that the Ferris Bueller person in your life. You know, you know so many people. I kind of feel like you like you would do a day off like Ferris Bueller. I feel like you're that kind of guy. I mean, we'll get into it, but like that that is a huge reason why I fell in love with it as a teenager is I wanted to be him. Yeah, you know? like <laughs> he is he is this great like wish fulfillment fantasy. But I knew in my heart that I'm Cameron. <laughs> oh, no. I think that's, yeah, I think that I, I say that a lot like Bugs Bunny is the character we want to be and, and Daffy yes. Duck is the guy we admit we are. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. It's kind of like True. that. It really is. I'm way more Cameron than, than Ferris, but oh, yeah, he's the dream. Well, let's talk about, I mean, there, there was, where were you when you saw this movie? You're a little uh, considerably younger than me. I saw this in the theater. I don't know if you did. Okay. No, I was five years old when this movie came out oh my gosh so i did not see it in the theater i knew about it here's what's weird i knew about it because there was a tv show okay yeah. um i don't know if you remember this there's a tv show i think starring jennifer aniston young 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 jennifer aniston as wow. as the sloan character i believe and it was just on and on whatever like fox or something and we just watched TV because there was nothing else to do in the in the 80s. So I think like in the in 1989, I want to say. So I knew that there was a TV show. And then there was a ripoff TV show of that called Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Oh, yes. I, I'm a big fan of that show. Yeah. And so it was kind of like a similar Ferris Bueller vibe, which I liked that show. And then it wasn't until high school, which is the perfect age to watch this movie, where I went home with my friends every day after school because I had a car before me, a very Ferris Bueller thing to happen. Um, so I didn't, I didn't have a car. They did. And so I rode with them and we would just hang out at their house. And the only like four movies they owned, one of them was Ferris Bueller. And we just watch it on a loop. One of, another one was Blues Brothers. So that's another yeah. one that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, but Ferris Bueller was the, the movie that like I was like, I can't believe that you can do this with a movie like it was the first time i ever saw him like you know break the fourth wall and talk to the audience like it's just instantly charming instantly funny and it was one of those where i watched it i was like well this is my favorite movie for the rest of time and uh <laughs> it's it's been consistently in the top three for sure um and one of the ones i've watched the most times in my life so that was my introduction well, what's weird is I don't think I saw this in a theater. My brother and I were just about the perfect age. I think we were young teenagers at the at yeah. that point, barely teenagers. And we uh, we didn't even pay to see it because it was one of those situations where we're walking through the mall and someone hands us a flyer. and says, oh. Do you want to go to a free movie? We're having a focus group screening. No way. And it's like a, it was like a big, long uh, postcard that had Ferris Bueller's day off that long logo. Like the title yeah. is almost like a logo. Um, yeah. And then, and then he's kind of reclining on top of the title yeah. on this uh, postcard. I, I might still have it buried somewhere, but I couldn't Please find it. Have it. it. Um, and it was like free screening. Okay. So we go in, there's not even any marketing yet. This is yeah. months before <laughs> posters are marketing. So it was like, I think I'm, I don't even think I knew who Matthew Broderick was. And my brother right. and I were like, cool, free movie. And then we were like, oh, my gosh, this movie, we were sort of aware of teen movies. And I yeah. wanted to take just a beat here to say that the teen movies before this. Well, you know, John Hughes, he did change the way we thought about teenagers 
as they are portrayed in the movies, as if they are their own kind of lead characters and that their world, like the high school is like their city and, and the stakes are huge in their world because of the way he wrote teenagers. But then this film was even more different than, than kind of the earthy or angsty or romantic Mm -hmm. movies that we had seen before. This was almost like, um, I almost feel like it's a spiritual cousin to back to the future in the way it's shot and edited very choppy and clippy and bouncy, almost like a comic book might. might Yeah. Oh, a Ferris Bueller comic book would be incredible because you're right. It has that feel. I just also, this will come up a few times, but I just recently over the holidays watched this movie for the first time with my 12 year old. Oh yeah. Who who loves comics. Um, But he, he just has, he's entering into, I get like adult humor, quote unquote, not really, but he like understands to him, like this was a grown up movie, you know? So it's not animation. It's not something that's catered to children. It's a little bit smarter. It's a little bit snarkier. And he yeah. was like, he loved it. He announced it as his second favorite movie of all time when we got done. Oh my uh, gosh. Followed by Free Guy starring Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> That's the first one. Um, but well, that occurs so... to me that Ryan Reynolds is kind of the next Ferris Bueller character he... in almost oh, everything gosh. he does. A hundred percent. And they even did that in, I think, in a Deadpool promo where he played. He played the Ferris Bueller role and did the go home at the end of the theater. Yeah, I, like, I think it's at the end here? of the movie even. Oh, I, is it? <laughs> I think it might be That's that perfect. he capped yeah. off the movie. Yeah, yeah, because oh. it's kind of like Ferris Bueller is kind of a Deadpool character for teenagers. You're right. I never thought about that. He's very self-aware. It's like he knows he's in the movie. Right, right. The whole There's time. Some, some wonderful moments we'll talk about. Um, my kids also, I have a 13 and now just turned 16 year old. And um, they saw it this year also. And I, it's very interesting to me that, you know, it would be, it's such an 80s film with 80s fashion, mm-hmm. but I think it transcends that because Ferris almost kind of dresses like a kid from the 50s. He does. Like he and, wears cardigans and sweaters and like, yeah. Slacks. Which was also a thing in the 80s, I guess. It was. But it was. It, apparently this film is timeless because it's not like it makes a lot of references to like, ronald reagan and stuff like flock of like, seagulls or something <laughs> flock of seagulls like uh, the the music 80s music is always coming back but it it they I, i'm this is a long way to say that my kids loved it too and i'm trying to figure out how they're not going ugh oh this is an 80s movie or this is an old movie um because it keeps up with i think a lot of things that are now descendants of yes. this ferris bueller pace and tone yes yeah it is exactly that i mean my son said he wanted to watch it and watch E.T. and watch Gremlins and stuff because of Stranger Things. Because oh, he, wow. loved, he loved Stranger Things. And he was like, I want to watch so I get the references. Um, and goes, he had the original Ghostbusters he got into when Stranger Things came out because, for the same reason. He was just like, I want to see some 80s stuff. And so... Well, that's, that's what's interesting. I think that, you know, I've worked with a lot of producers who will recoil if any reference is three years ago or later, or, you know, later. Or earlier, I guess I'll say earlier. Um, yeah. If I go back in time, you know, like I, I will make a joke about a, a mixtape, and then a producer says, "Oh, kids don't make mixtapes. They don't. Want, they don't have cassettes. They don't know what that is." And I'm like, "Yeah, but that idea transcends the cassette." Totally. Um, you know, so I think that there's a lot of references that that uh, typical of many producers I've worked with are afraid of old references. But like, <laughs> I didn't live in the era of Indiana Jones. I. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I can watch something from the 20s, the 30s, the 40s and understand 
this is just when this story takes place. And so yeah. my kids, they were like, I don't care when it is. This is a kid escaping from school. I understand yeah. that. That transcends exactly. everything. Yeah, I think that's the big I think we worry so much about like being hung up on the aesthetic of it. And that's the beauty of John Hughes in general is he didn't make eighties movies. He made movies about like characters that felt like they lived in real life Um, and teenagers at that, which had never been done. Like you were saying like teen movies before this were like porkies and (laughs) you know, some of this, you know, animal house where it was just gross and, and it just wasn't, it was more like college age. But this was the first time that like teenagers were put on film with like 16 candles and breakfast club. And now this one, um, the where it was like, oh, this is just a, a kid who wants to escape school for the day, the end. And he takes his friends along like who, that is a universal feeling. That's a universal. Like everybody has had this daydream. Yeah. And I think it's wish fulfillment. And and, you know, it's funny. We talk about these characters like the real people, yet there's a lot of cartoonish stuff in this movie. But yeah. it also rides that line of it gets really real, much like The Breakfast yeah. Club. At the end, Cameron has some very deep problems. Yeah. Um, I don't yeah. know that Ferris ever changes his ways. He's kind of like an unchanging character, yeah. but he changes Cameron. And, and I'm sure we'll get to that more. Um, but I, I, I just it's interesting. Like I think about a show like Community um, mm-hmm. or even shows uh, Parks and Rec or yeah. uh, Abbott Elementary, which is out right now, where it's funny, 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 funny poignant shed a tear and funny again Um, and that's that kind of like we're going to wedge in just a little bit of emotion yeah uh, after you've paid uh uh for the audience's attention with comedy and i think that ferris really set that up it's so true i think john hughes in general he's one of my favorite creators because i think he he took the the form and and stretched it where he was like i think teenagers we we don't give them enough credit I think they're dealing with really deep, heavy problems, but they're also silly and goofy because they're still children. I think we can do both because they'll they'll resonate with that. And and I mean, I, I've read so many books on John Hughes and the struggles he took to make these movies. And for the most part, like as soon as 16 Candles was a hit, they just let him do whatever he wanted. Yeah. What an amazing run that he had. Uh, there, there, there's not a lot of. Yes. But it's just, I, I think taking that swing and I mean, it lands so hard because even that stuff, I forgot how dark Ferris gets when I was watching it with my kid. And I was a little bit like, okay, are we going to have to like have a talk about Because <laughs> it gets like depressive and like he, he, he was catatonic at one point, you know? And like my son was just hooked. He was like, yeah, I understand. Like I have anxiety. I understand what this is about, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, the way we're talking about it being ahead of its time with the, the pace and the humor um it was probably ahead of its time and and hughes was as well of just like i think kids deal with a lot more anxiety now than they did then and so i think it was maybe a new idea that a kid was was medicating or a kid was uh freaking out so much that he just shuts down um and and i i i don't think i like the idea and i might not have been able to articulate it when i saw it as a younger person but that ferris bueller he's almost like a peter pan character and that he's going to come along and he's going to sweep you away and make you make it feel OK. And yeah, I, I would have loved if if the series had been better or if they had made sequels, because I, I just like knowing that he's always out there, that he's always yeah. going to help somebody else like a Cameron who has a problem. You know what? Let's take a day and let's go escape. And mm-hmm. I'm going to uh, give you a bigger picture of, you know, that life moves pretty fast and we're going to go <laughs> take a look at it. That's I mean, that's the whole point. right? I love that. Like. Ferris's whole conceit isn't that 
like he's not he's not trying to solve a problem he's basically like hey time is marching on we are literally on the verge of high school being over my friends being dispersed through different colleges and this is all today is all we have so i'm like i'm not going to waste it being in school any longer it's this great like so it's not like he's trying to solve a problem he's just trying to like show his friends a good time because he knows that this moment will soon be over which what an incredible way to live life <laughs> i mean what an incredible way like every once in a while being like you know what this is all we've got let's go let's have fun yeah you know it's funny if i put my studio hat on i might go well what are the stakes of this movie why make this movie <laughs> when does the world crumble if he doesn't find the infinity stone like it exactly. is just it is just let's just go cut class and maybe i guess the stakes are that that uh principal rooney will find them yes. and then what expel them i guess that's Whole, like well, well the one thing he's escaping right like is school and rooney's like i'm gonna make you like stay behind a year and you're gonna have to be in school for one more year i'm gonna have you under my thumb and then cameron's whole thing is like you know his stakes are he doesn't want to disappoint his father uh so everybody kind of has something, but they're, they're personal stakes. They're, they're micro, but because they're running around Chicago, avoiding their problems or trying to work through them, it kind of feels like they let us forget about them for a while. And then they come back to them and then they forget about them and they come back to them. It's, it's really interesting pacing. Yeah. You know? Cause they'll be yeah. at the Cubs game, but then the next scene they're at the, at the MoMA, like looking at modern art and having existential crises. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it, it it's interesting because this, yeah, it, it's almost um, the film just takes, as you say, big swings in that 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 sequence in the museum. I know we're going to jump all over the place. It, it's just like it's just music with them looking at pieces of art. And and you wouldn't think to put that in uh, a teenage film. And it's just like this. It's almost like an art piece in itself. All the ways that these people, these kids are just standing in the museum and they do more in one day than you could possibly do. Which is part of the fun is like, there's no way you could do all of this. There, there's a little bit of element of magic realism in that, like where it's like, oh, this isn't like all of a sudden they're like Rooney looks up at a restaurant and at a Cubs game and they're in the stands like, wait, what? You know. <laughs> right. They get, they, they get a lot of places and apparently have infinite resources to do so. <laughs> yeah, I know also. But I mean, it, it's my one of my favorite things. I don't know how we're going to talk. We're just going to bounce around or whatever like please guide me because i will talk all over the place but okay the, give me another favorite moment we'll we'll go through it uh chronologically okay, okay. after that i i well this this is at the beginning but like when he has i think i counted this time i think he has five maybe six outfit changes in right i was gonna talk about that <laughs> okay good like stuff like that where you're just like oh my gosh like i, I pointed out to ben my son i was like watch every time they cut back to ferris he's in a different outfit <laughs> Like that's like something a five-year-old would do is keep changing clothes for the first hour of his day. And he has, and it's not like he changes shirts. Like he's wearing, he's playing a clarinet in like a fedora and some old man slacks. Like he's, he's committing. Right. Right. Cause then he's like, he's uh he's out by the pool and he's in a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. And when, Cam when Cameron it's finally gets there, he's in a suit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like that takes effort. It takes effort and so much time. And it's still supposed to be morning. It's supposed to be 10 a.m. or something. Right, right. Like, I I don't know about you, but I kind of lost track for a while. Like, wait a minute. What time of day is it now? How yeah. far are we into this day? I know. I know. Um, great comedic performances, too. Uh, oh, what is her name? Is it Edie McClurg, I want to yes. say? Yes, Edie McClurg. Is, she is the uh, receptionist. Um, she's yeah. in one of the most notorious scenes in uh, in trains planes and automobiles right um but she is always a great character actor 
And then, uh, and then, oh, who is Andy Rooney? Help me out. Not Andy Rooney. Edward Rooney. I'll tell Edward Edward Rooney. Yeah, the the dean or the principal. Yeah, Um, I can't remember the actor's name. Oh, Um, Jeffrey Jones. Jeffrey Jones. uh, uh, Just from Beetlejuice. He shows up a lot in the eighties. A lot of the eighties. Howard the Duck. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Um, And um, as again, I I think. Matthew Broderick had been in some stuff. I think he he might have come from from Broadway. I know he, he did, did Biloxi Blues. Biloxi I think he Blues. did that as a stage play and then got the film. Yes, that's Maybe. true. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, um, you're right. But this was like, I don't know that he, it's funny because he didn't become like a teen idol after this. He went on to do a lot of cool, um, you know, uh, uh, cool film stuff. He's like done a lot. Glory and yeah, he was doing even before this. He did like war games and like, right. Like, Hawk. Like this is not. We have not seen him in a role like this before or since. Honestly, by the way, if there, if no one on the internet has done a supercut of Ferris Bueller staying at home and complaining about his computer, and then cut to <laughs> war games where he starts thermonuclear war, like yeah. somebody out there has to have done that. That's on YouTube for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, <laughs> that's what's funny too is that he. Ferris doesn't have a car. Uh, he doesn't. Uh, oh, he asked for a computer, I think. Right? Yeah. His his sister, Jeannie, got a car and he got a computer. Yeah. So he changes his grades, which is what he also does in war games, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, he changes his wonder, absences. I mean, there weren't a lot of like meta references back then, but that seems to be a more modern thing. But I wonder if, if John Hughes, was, that was a little bit of a wink to war games. That's funny. That's maybe it was. Uh, well, the, we'll go chronologically here, but the, the film really just kicks off uh, with him playing sick, which we also learned how to do in E.T. Yes. Um, <laughs> where I guess you just heat up the thermometer or you just yeah. uh, he acts like he is on his deathbed. Uh, everything is a little heightened and that gets worse and worse throughout the day where everybody hears about his sickness in a, in a more and more gruesome way. Tell uh, people are painting save Ferris on the sides of water tower. Oh, the best. Yes. Um, and then, uh, so, so the parents who are just kind of, you know, they're, they're just kind of, uh, they're just rubes. They're just like, they're, they're, they're two dimensional dumdums really. Yeah. They just, they're so sweet, but they just believe, especially the dad, he's my favorite. Like he just goes along with whatever. He's just kind of like, all right, buddy. Like there's no nuance. It's just like, you're sick. Okay. Like he's never heard of a lie before. <laughs> right. And I don't know about you, but I have never been left home while I'm sick all day from school. No. Your some uh, parent stays with you. Oh my gosh. Well, especially like, you know, not to get sidetracked, but in ET, when this 10 year old boy just says, I'm sick, mom's just like, all right, no TV and yeah, leaves for work. And 10 years old. I know. That was the issue, though. I don't know. Yeah. We need to have Elliot's day off. I would, yeah. We kind of did. <laughs> um, so, so he kicks it off. He's got big plans. Um, I, I even love uh, when they start the, the 80s drum beat. And they just cut to like blue sky with white yeah. puffy clouds. And yeah. it's just like shots of sky, sky, sky. And he's like, how could I deal with school on a day like today? And it's funny to me that the first person he calls is Cameron or that he's even friends with Cameron because Cameron yeah, seems like kind of a wet blanket. Yeah, he totally is. But you see throughout the movie, like they have a rapport like like he does. He Cameron does go along with the pranks and even gets like high risk involved. So you can tell like, Everybody like Ferris knows that Cameron needs Ferris. Like yeah. he brings him out of his shell for sure. And it, it it might be one of those things where they've just known each other since kindergarten and they just have always they just grew up together. 
but like I love like the little like them being at the Cubs game or like whatever they're doing they're just kind of doing these little bits together like friends do and I'm like oh yeah there it is they have such good chemistry even though they're diametrically opposed personality wise well I guess we we love those kinds of pairings because I guess it happens in real life you you will find yeah. somebody who you subliminally or or maybe uh consciously you think well they need me and I need them they're yeah. like kind of another half of my personality that I don't have yeah one brings me down the other one like pulls me up a little bit like you just you need that sometimes that's yin yang yes and then uh remind me of when does uh his girlfriend uh play by mia sarah when does she yeah. come into the into the picture she's not until about i think like 15 20 minutes in because we we meet genie first uh his sister um played by jennifer gray and and it isn't until you know they do the whole like Ferris isn't at school, the whole like Bueller, Bueller, which is classic from Ben Stein, the teacher. Yes. And um, one of the other teachers played by improv uh, legend Del Close. Uh, oh. He's in there. Like there's a lot. Of, John Hughes just put every so many legendary Chicago people in this. Um, and uh, yeah. And so at one point, the nurse comes in and asks the uh, or like has to take Mia Sarah's character of Sloan out. Because she says her, her grandmother passed away. And it's like she knows as soon as she knows it's coming. Like we don't see him contact her, but it's almost like she's prepared. She's like, yeah. Nurse. Yeah. The second she sees the nurse, she gathers up her books and she knows. And then she puts on like this uh, kind of over the top Academy Award winning performance <laughs> of how sad yeah. she is. Yeah. But she knows what's up. And that, that's a really that's just funny to me. It's like, oh, this has happened before. This is like we're just seeing a slice of like one time that this has happened. But there's. Man, it, it really is ripe for a TV show. So I understand why they made one. But <laughs> and then and uh, yeah, she walks out and there's that cool car, you know, that that he's convinced Cameron to take his dad's car, oh, yeah. which is that. Yeah, I guess those would be stakes, too. Those for stakes are pretty high. Cameron lets us know if anything happens to this car. Oh, it's yeah, it's, it's the crown jewel that we can't lose or, or get damaged. And you're like, you know, you're going to see that get lost or damaged at some point. Yeah. It's amazing uh, that uh, she's just she's prepared for it, and and they need a nice car to kind of pull off this getaway. Uh, and and the principal walks out, and he still lets it happen, but he doesn't believe it. And so then we get this chase that happens the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, and I I have to take a sidetrack here because I don't think I've ever told you this, but um, I've hung out with Mia Sarah a couple of times. Really? Yeah. Uh, oh, because. Tough. As she went on in the business, she ended up marrying Brian Henson. That's right. And I have worked with the, the Hensons, uh, Lisa and Brian Henson. And so first I end up going to a uh, Jim Henson Christmas party uh, for the Henson Company. And, you know, uh, I think it was at uh, Lisa Henson's house. Mm -hmm. And then so Brian's there. And that's when I meet his wife. And I'm like, holy crap, it's Sloan. And like, so I'm just trying to keep it together. And that was like maybe 10 seconds of right. hi, how you doing? so great to meet you uh but then uh, a few years later um i am at a birthday party laser tag place and they have like multiple little areas where you can laser tag so they got yeah. several games going at once and over in this little party room is brian henson and mia sarah and they say hey Corey," and and like i don't want to bother them but then they're like come here come here come hang out come yeah. hang out come sit down so then i'm sitting there for like 10 minutes making small talk with the two of them about their kids and playing laser tag <laughs> uh and that's it i mean i did i didn't go so you were in legend like i didn't like do any of that <laughs> of course 
but I, I, I might have said, well, it's pretty trippy to uh, to uh, to sit here and talk to you after uh, so many years of Ferris Bueller, et cetera. But, I, you know, I didn't want to belabor it. I know. It, it, I never know what to do in those scenarios. I've been in a couple of those where I was like, I want you to see that I see you as a person first. But also, you have a cool job, you know? <laughs> well, right. And it's not just that she's been in some movies, but the this is a pretty iconic movie. It's iconic. Yeah. 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 So anyway, uh, mo- moving on. That car takes off um, and we, I don't know that we, remind me, do we get to the parking garage pretty quickly to hand it off yeah. to these two schmoes? Pretty quickly, like they're, they're, there's, they set up the whole idea that like the odometer is a specific thing and they're like, well, we'll just drive it home backwards. You know, like it's this, it's this whole idea of like, how are we going to fix this? And he's like, we'll figure it out. Like, like we'll figure it out when we come to it. That, and that's a consistent through line of this is Cameron's like, what are we going to do when? And, and Ferris is like, we'll figure it out when we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. And and I really love that the consistent like that's the crazy thing about, you know, it's a teen movie. You don't have to take this much care of these characters, but they are extremely consistent um, in their in their own character. Uh, and I really enjoy that they do that. So like they go to this. Yeah, they go to the garage. And because they walk around, they go to that French restaurant, they go to the Cubs game, they, they do all this stuff while they're walking around Chicago. So they park it in this garage where they're, it looks a little shady. Yeah. Um, and Cameron's immediately worried about it. Well, they pull off some great pranks, too, uh, as far as like when when uh, they're calling uh, Edward Rooney at the beginning of the day. And yeah. like Cameron ends up becoming um, uh, Mr. Sloan. We've got yeah. a death in the that, family. That's, that's pretty good. Uh, he says, I owe you an apology. Well, I should say you do. So you um, do. <laughs> uh, but they do this kind of little back and forth with like two different lines on the phone. And yeah. then they do it again um, in the fancy restaurant when he becomes uh, yeah. Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago. Yeah. And somehow they, I guess he goes to another phone. Yeah, he goes to the other, like he's at the to-go phone, I think. He goes over there to the other side and yeah, it's in that part also the first one where they do it to Mr. Rooney when you you're like clearly this is Ferris calling in and then you hear Ferris like call in on the other line when the reveal is like oh because he's being rude to who he Rooney is being rude to who he thinks is Sloane's dad but it and then when that reveal happens like watching it through my twelve year old's eyes it was incredible he was just like this is amazing <laughs> like it just lands like all these years later well i think it lands too because up to this point you don't know that cameron's capable of this yes and that he's there you don't know that he because last time he saw cameron he's sitting in his car and he's like you know he'll keep calling he'll keep calling like i'm just gonna go i'm just gonna go like he, he hasn't made his decision you know yet so right. it was fun to see like some time has passed and they play with that throughout the movie time is like a little scamp you don't know what it is (laughs) well i think that the fact that we don't know that it it couldn't possibly cameron's kind of been removed from our mind for a while in the movie when uh ferris is calling you you think oh ferris is calling as sloan's father ferris is prank calling the principal and and as that goes on and on you're like you know then it seems like there's this kind of uh sherlock holmes moriarty game where Mm-hmm. Um, I think he even says the game is afoot. Um, but then Rooney's like, get Ferris Bueller on the line or get Sloan's dad on the line. This is a this is a prank. But then all of a sudden Ferris calls in to the receptionist. Yeah. yeah. And I think because we removed Cameron from the movie for a little bit, I, I don't know. I per- I remember being like, what's going on? So the reveal of Cameron uh playing Mr. Sloan, it's like, well, not only is he there 
but but oh, he he is actually capable of of a little more than we thought. Yeah, absolutely. Because the rest of the the rest of the day, he kind of freaks out a lot. Um, oh yeah. I kind of wanted to see them all put on disguises and try to sneak in somewhere. I mean, it's, um, it's shocking that they didn't. They did everything but. Right, right. So, uh, and 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 if if we're jumping to the fancy restaurant now, that character actor, the maitre d', yes. I've only seen him in one other thing. I like. What was it? I don't know. I can't remember. He played like some kind of street punk, and when he showed up in the movie, I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's the maitre d' from Ferris Bueller," um, because he's so distinct in this. Yes. He is, Kind of a cartoon, but I love him. He really is. He plays a, the perfect snooty, like cartoonish, um, <laughs> or whatever he is. Won't this be a hoot? Yeah. Let's Who take... let the kids out? Let take take the kids onto the playground or whatever he says. Yeah. Um, and 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 there are so many near misses too that I don't know how your your son was when they exit the fancy restaurant. And his and Ferris's dad actually yeah. went to the same restaurant and he's standing right there in front of them. And they're literally like six inches behind him trying to get the same cab. Yeah. That's great. Like that whole blocking of that, like just the just the logistics of shooting that, it felt believable. Well, yeah. we, and they have to set up the parents as kind of rubes and aloof so you can believe that that could happen. But the way that he reached his dad reaches for the cab and then turns back at the right time and they just happen to, I mean, it's it's Looney Tunes. It's, yeah. We're literally watching like Warner Brothers cartoons right now. And yeah, my, my kid was like balled up on the couch. Like, oh, are they going to make it? Like, it's just... right. Right, <laughs> right. That one later in the cab as well, when like they turn the camera pans to the left and you see the dad and then it pans back and then the kids are down and Sloan is up by herself. with the, the Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, where Sloan is, is suddenly peeking out of the cab at the dad and the dad flirts with Sloan for a minute. <laughs> Yeah, it's so funny. Like, well, I, I also, as he is uh, pulling these pranks, sometimes he's like, A, I'm never, A, you can never go too far. And B, if I'm going to get taken down, it's not going to be like from a guy like that. Like yes. these commentaries of like, he has these lists or these rules. Yes. And I'm realizing that Zombieland maybe owes a debt to Ferris Bueller with its rules and its, you know, that. zombie takedown of the week and that kind of stuff. That's a really good point. Yeah, the, it, its influence is definitely felt. You know, even today, I mean, it, it, it's crazy. I mean, I watched it with my son, like I said, it feels so fresh for being yeah. an agency. Like it's very bright and fun and punchy. And like the soundtrack is great. Like it just moves. This movie moves. Yeah. I think it was too. Correct me if I'm wrong. There was never a, I can't believe this. There was never a Ferris Bueller's day off soundtrack, like an official soundtrack. Uh-huh. Um, you kind of had to cobble it together yourself, which I did. You know, I, 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 like many other teens, I was like, what is this song by Yellow? And I had to <laughs> yeah. go out and get the, uh, oh, yeah, on 45, back when they had 45s. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you could just kind of go find all the hits that they put in there. I think it was also one of those first films where, yeah, like every five minutes there was a new piece of music, pop mm -hmm. music behind the scene. Um, even to the point where they cut to Ferris as he's doing one of his five costume changes waiting on Cameron. Uh, there's one moment where they just cut to him and it's to the uh, the theme from My Dream of Jeannie. Yeah. <laughs> and he is dancing around uh, for no one. I for no one. Yeah. It's just for our benefit. I mean, I guess if he knows we're there watching the movie and talking to us, maybe it was for our benefit. Maybe. But you just you it really does give the sense that Ferris is just this way no matter what like he is just 
who he's just is kind of a magical genie in this movie. <laughs> well, we uh, I made reference to Bugs Bunny. He is kind of a Bugs Bunny character in that he's an eternal optimist. Yes. And even when he is faced with like crazy, I mean, he reacts to things. He yeah. feels pressure sometimes, but then he just kind of winks and gets out of it uh, in, in the way that Bugs Bunny might. Yeah. He is, um, he is what they call, I guess, in D&D, like chaotic good, <laughs> which which is so appealing. Yeah. Well, and, and we're also talking about the jumps in time and the jumps in location that are almost yeah. impossible. I think it's because I don't know that anybody, when this movie was being made, thought, is this going to make kids cut school a lot? Yeah. Is this like a a commercial for it's okay to to leave school? Because I don't think it's it's like watching a heist film where they use a little bit of tech that nobody has. So it's yeah. not really possible to cut school this way. We all get to live the dream for, for 90 minutes. Yeah. Which is part of the beauty of it. Well, so we, uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking we, we've kind of gone through the day sort of chronologically. They go to the tallest building in Chicago and, and look out. Mm-hmm. Um, they go to the museum that we talked about, which is this beautiful kind of music and images piece. Um, and, and, uh, and the lunch and all that. Um, and then um, I guess we're ready to talk about the parade, which yeah. it like shuts the movie down and flips it. Like it, it just when you think, okay, he's breaking the fourth wall. He's jumping around in ways you couldn't really jump around in Chicago. You think this, you don't think the movie can go any further. And, and this yeah. parade First of all, that there's a parade on a weekday I at know. four o'clock or whenever it is. They never say what kind of parade it is. It's true. It's some kind of it's Irish or German. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they, but they, what, why would there be a parade? It had to be two o'clock in the afternoon. It, easily, easily. I mean, it, what is time in this universe? But uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And they get to that point because there he turns to Cam- Ferris turns to Cameron and he's like, you know, did you have fun? What'd you, what'd you see today that you liked? And he said, nothing good. Like, he's just in this, like, just kind of depressive episode where he's just kind of, like, Cameron is spiraling. And he's just like, this is, what's the point? Like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to get in trouble and you get away with everything. This is unfair. And Ferris is like, all right, I got to pull out the big dogs. I have to, like, do this big parade stunt. Which yeah. is incredible. And you even see when he starts singing on that on that float. Uh, Cameron and Sloan run up to it and the cops are like, whoa, 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 you can't be here. And I'm like, how did Ferris get up there then? Right. Right. And that's amazing. He's lip syncing. I guess he's lip syncing both songs. Yes. So where where, where are these recordings coming from? There's no... I, and how does everybody in the city hear it? <laughs> and and honestly, all the ladies on the float around him during Dunkashen, yeah, they know the choreography that he wants them to do. And it yes. is just like, it is, it is a, a fantasy, I think, for every, um, I, maybe even introverts, but every kid who wants to be an extra, extrovert and jump up on a parade float or or yeah. get in front of his class in school and and be a class clown, like, it is the ultimate. Like, nobody can touch him. He's he's lip-syncing this crazy song, and, like, everyone's loving it and giving giving back to him as an audience member. Yeah. Um, and when then you we... think that's it, and then it goes into this Beatles song. Now, both of these songs I'd never heard until this film. Yeah. Uh you know, well, and Twist the, and Shout, I don't think was a big hit for the Beatles, but man, it, this made it uh, kind of a eternal song. Brought it back. And there's, I love that the little Easter egg of it is, or the callback is that when he's in the shower at the beginning, he's singing Dunkashane into the shower um, spout. And 
And then later, that's the song he's lip syncing on on the on the float. There's little like hints like that where you're like, oh, that's cool. Like, yeah, that's a great connection. You make him make it wonder like, did he plan this all along? Like that's the whole question. Like how much of this is planned? Right. Like, right. And, and I remember I, I as not knowing Don Kishen, the first time I'm watching it, and not knowing that it's this uh, uh, Wayne uh, Wayne Newton Wayne Newton song. Um, I honestly thought it was a woman's voice when I first heard it. Oh yeah, because he was 16 when he sang it, so he he hadn't it, like his voice was very high. And 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 when when Ferris is singing it in the shower, they've got some other pop track playing behind it. This synth kind of bop, 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 yeah. Bop. yeah. So when he's singing his Donkashen, <laughs> it feels like some Euro hit. Like I don't know what he's singing. Yeah, yeah. I have to also pull out, uh, do a shout out to. Uh, obviously, he talks to the camera throughout the entire film. But yeah. there's a couple of moments where he is performing and looking at the characters. He is in the moment. He's in the scene. And then just for like, this has to be Matthew Broderick deciding to do this. I don't know. But there's a moment where suddenly his eyeballs go to us for a second. Like, yeah. can you believe this? Uh -huh. um, and when you said Cameron, you know, when he says, what, have, what, what have you seen? And he's like, nothing good. And then Matthew Broderick's like, yeah. nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing. <laughs> good. Yeah, and then he looks at us for a second. Yeah, like you, you're seeing this, right? Like it's right. A, it's a, yeah, absolute. Like I and, don't. Uh, and I don't, uh, yeah, there's I mean, a moment no. at the end when uh, when Jeannie uh, saves Ferris. Yes. Uh, from Rooney and the dog, uh, or whatever. You know, she saves him from death, and she says, "Get on in here." And he looks right at the camera again, just for a, a second. It's not like a full address of the camera. It's beautiful. Well, um, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I think I'm talking a mile a minute, but. Uh, what Just else like, did you see in that in that parade scene as far as like everybody in the city suddenly becoming part of a Broadway musical and departing reality? That, there was like a running through line throughout the 80s of that kind of thing, because like like another movie I mentioned earlier, Blues Brothers, they did that a lot. So there was there was I don't know what it was, but I loved it so much. And even like the, the group of people like, you know, marching into frame sideways and doing like a choreographed dance. The dance they're doing is very basic. It's not like a good <laughs> It's not like a great dance, but it's just fun that like this is just a thing that has it, like Ferris mania has taken over. Like it's not that the parade is making everybody go nuts. There's something about Ferris's component in it that's just infuses the city with magic. And I think that's why everybody is like, oh, so worried about him. You know, like th that through line of going back to Jeannie at school and people being like, you know, raising funds for him and the water tower saving save Ferris. Like there's just like there's something magical about this person that like it, that is at that nobody can put their finger on, but everybody, nobody bats an eye at. It's really interesting. Well, and, and, and again, the studio note would be if you're going to make a musical, a Broadway musical moment, you need to set that up earlier. So we know it's that kind of movie, but it's, it's never set up. It's, it's never, next. there's not an opening number that Ferris does where you're like, Oh, every once in a while people break into song. This is sort of a movie musical. No, yeah. Which no. is, and I'm so glad they didn't because the reveal is so fun when that happens. Yeah, this movie was directed by John Hughes. Okay, he doesn't always direct his movies, and I and I do want to say like he is a powerhouse writer. Like he wrote this movie while on a weekend while they were making uh, the Breakfast Club. He knew that he just wanted he, the next movie since Breakfast Club was so heavy. He knew he wanted to make something that was just fun and. Over a weekend, he wrote Ferris Bueller's Day Off and delivered it to the studio. That's amazing. That's amazing. 
Like, well, and, and and I guess because he's directing it, he knows visually what it's going to be. But I would love to see that script and see how visually punchy can you make that script to understand the jump around moments that it, that it's going to have. Yeah, I don't even know how it, it really is like a writer director's like it, it has to be because I don't know how you would see that on the page and be like, I guess we do it this way unless he, he just saw it in his head and made it happen. Well, and, and I guess that's why, too. There was such uh, I was going to say if it was directed by someone else, that there's the real sync that they're having. But it's 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 just John, John Hughes, but that he was able to he was allowed to make a film that basically um, there are crazy rules in this movie as far as people breaking in the song. Yeah. Um, you know, when when he looks at the camera, I, I think that as the movie goes on, we realize no one else is going to speak to the camera. No. But then I was thinking, like do we all know that we're all breaking into a song and dance number right now? I guess we do. You see Sloan and, and, and Cameron dancing in the crowd. Yeah. So a, in a parade, you would do that. But then we just cut the other, uh, you know, like you say, that area of Chicago where like suddenly 20 people are doing a choreographed dance number. Yeah. Um, it, and it's, I think the distinction is they're not actually singing, they're lip syncing. And so it feels more believable. Yeah. Like, oh, like, cause, and Matthew Broderick can sing, so they absolutely could have done that. But I love there's something quaint about it. Oh no, he's just lip syncing, like anybody could do at karaoke or whatever. Like they're just yeah. having fun, and so it makes it a little bit more grounded, but also still being whimsical. I am amazed that to promote this film or for years after, there has never been a parade float where somebody is dressed just like Ferris, and 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 they just put that parade float in a parade and do twist and shout and just go right down yeah. the, the oh. main street. Well, People in Chicago would lose their minds. <laughs> yeah, I would love. I would love if somebody would put that in an actual parade. That's um, and Matthew Broderick. He's still around. I mean, he's yeah, he's an older guy, but I bet he would love to be a part of it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll I, do it. <laughs> you'll do it. Nick, Nick Flora will do it. A dream come true. Call me. Um, so, so now we get to kind of the freakout point where um, they know they have to get home with the car. Yeah. And they pick it up. It looks like it doesn't have a scratch on it. But, of course, we know that the two guys that took the car for the day have, I don't know how many miles they put on it, but they put a ton of miles on it. Yeah. And now it, it made sense to me that, yeah, you would put a cement block underneath this car and, and just run the wheels backwards. It's, and, it's teenage logic for sure. Yeah. 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 And, um, and um, yeah, it was a real uh, freak out moment for Cameron because he's like, what's interesting to me is we never meet his dad but he is his dad is painted as kind of a monster he is he's kind of the, one, the main villain other than rooney he's the looming kind of sauron of this this whole movie where like yeah that's the person that we 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 keep waiting to run into him the whole time yeah well i think that you say that breakfast club was done just before this and yeah. a lot of those kids talk about their parents and we don't really meet their parents either. Yeah. And it makes the kids more the center of the world, but also it makes the parents, I don't know, you can kind of fill in the blanks with your own imagination. I find I that very that's, interesting. That's got to be the reason because you're right. You don't need to see, you know, Judd Nelson from Breakfast Club's dad. Like you can imagine him. You can imagine somebody like that. And And I think there really is an element of like, John Hughes wanting the audience to project their own experience onto these characters because they're so grounded and real. So, but even before in Ferris, but even before we get to the point where they're, they're, they're taking the, the miles off, we have this really like catatonic moment with Cameron where he kind of freaks out, has an anxiety panic attack and they're just and and then, but even before that Ferris talks very closely to the camera about, listen, 
like real talk, Cameron's going to go to college. He's going to marry the first girl he's with. It's going to ruin his life. Like he has no respect for himself. Like the house he grew up in is just, you know, it's cold and distant and just like, I, I had to do this. You see why I had to do this, right? You know, it's just this whole like monologue, which is incredible. And then you see, we finally see Cameron have the panic attack that was kind of promised in the beginning of like, he needs to get out of his head a little bit. And it's a really dark moment where he kind of falls into the pool and kind of contemplating existence. <laughs> it's a heavy existential like through line for a teen movie. Right. And, and they kind of, he almost plays like he's not going to be revived. Yeah. And then he's, says ferris bueller you're my hero um <laughs> to where i don't know whether that means he wasn't like when did he snap out of it i don't know but he kind of just i think that it was enough that he said i just want to make sure my friends are still there and that they would still save me if i fell in this pool yeah it felt like he was disassociating while he was processing everything he just shut down um and at some point maybe at the bottom of the pool or whatever he was he kind of came to and was like because he does kind of reach a point when they, you know, in the garage where he's just Cameron's finally like, you know what? Screw it. Like my dad will come home and he'll be mad and I'll deal with it. Like he finally, the fairest of it all in his life kind of finally sets in like, you know what? Fine. He'll be mad. I'll deal with it. This is fine. Well, then stands up and says, I'll take the blame. Don't even worry about it. He already hates me. I'll take the blame. Yeah. And that, that, that brings us to this crazy moment crazy. where you think the worst that can happen is, Oh, well, it didn't get a scratch while we left it with these guys at the garage. And now we can't we can't turn the uh, speedometer back. Oh, he's going to get so mad from this speedometer. He's, yeah. Like, like that's going to be the worst. And then he just starts kicking and kicking the car. And, and you see that it. jack tilting at a, at a steeper and steeper angle. I know when my kids watched that, they were like crawling up the couch. Yes, yeah, same, same. Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And then it's like, oh, okay, it's going to be okay. And then he just leans on it, and that car just shoots out uh, uh, the glass walls of, you know, they found this house that, you know, they just decided, let's build a house on the top of a cliff, I guess, somewhere in yeah. suburbia. Yeah. Oh, I've been there. It's and, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, if, if I was going to say, everybody's got to go back to the first episode of this podcast. And yes. listen to Nick's story about how he found this location. But you can give us a give us the high points again. Yeah, I mean, I found this location when I was in Chicago because I'm an I'm an obsessed John Hughes fan, and John Hughes shot in all real locations. So the school that Ferris Bueller went to school at, or avoided school at, I should say, is the same school that like the kids in Sixteen Candles went to, and that and John Hughes went to. Um, wow! So it is this iconic school, the same football field that Judd Nelson walks across at the end of breakfast club. Like it is a part of my childhood. So visiting Chicago suburbs, you know, I went up there and I found that Cameron house and it looks exactly the same. And that garage is back there. So he just found a real location like this. And it's such an odd location and it, you're, you're absolutely correct. But I went, I went there and eventually, essentially they were, the house was for sale and I got scared off the property uh, by somebody who was squatting in the house. And uh, I, I told the whole tale on the first episode and it's harrowing. So go back and listen to it. it it's harrowing. And it's also fun because yeah. it, you, you, you meet another fan along the way. Yeah. And I wasn't the only guy there to see the Ferris Bueller house. <laughs> it's uh, that's, this is a commercial to go back and watch, listen to the first episode uh, uh, with my first guest, Nick, because man, that's a crazy story. Isn't it crazy? Well, yeah. I love when they shoot with real locations because you went to that, 
didn't you go to the football field of Breakfast yeah. Club? Oh yeah, like it's all right there in like Winnetka, Illinois, and like it it's on Shermer Road, which is Shermer, Illinois, is the fictional town in all of these John Hughes movies. Um, oh my gosh, John Hughes is such a like Chicagoan. He named everything. Everything is a reference. If you know John Hughes movies, driving around the suburbs of Chicago, everything will make you go, hey, wait a minute. It's fantastic. It is like before there was the term cinematic universe, John Hughes had a cinematic universe. Oh, yeah. In his mind, all of the characters from Sixteen Candles, Breakfast Club, and Ferris Bueller went to high school together. Like, they're all there. That's crazy. That would be yeah. an amazing, that would be an amazing kind of a spin-off series or or video game or some uh, virtual experience where you could just move throughout e- all three of those movies in in space. Absolutely. Yeah. So when the car crashes, like that's like every kid's worst nightmare. Like yeah. we've 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 had the fantasy, now we have the nightmare. And then as we talk about how Cameron's dad is not in the movie, the scene that he says is about to happen where his dad's going to come home. And there's going to be hell to pay and he's going to deal with it. And he's like super suddenly super calm about it. And in any other movie, you would see that scene. And if you didn't see that scene, you'd feel cheated. But we don't see that scene. Yeah. We almost don't need it, though. What's that? We don't need it, I don't think. Yeah, it's kind of like his story is over. Cameron's story is over. But I mean, like, I guess it's not Cameron's movie. So we don't need to see this like emotional standoff with dad. Yeah, exactly. No, it's in, in. I think the whole point of his arc was he was going to get to the point where he was going to stand up for himself. So I, I, once he reached that point where he was like, I don't care. Like, you know what? Like, it's going to be okay. I can take care of this myself. Um, that's what we needed, you know? Yeah. And then he, uh, he has a little moment with Sloan and uh, she kind of says, he's going to marry me. Like, like we don't know if that ever happens. We hope it does, but that's, yeah. that's the end of high school. Uh, where you feel that way. Yeah. And he, he plays against, you know, even before this, when we were talking about the Porkies and like fast times are rich high, like all the dudes in those movies are kind of creeps. Like Ferris Bueller, like he wants to marry her. He's a very serious guy about the things he's serious about. And I think I love that. He's not like a player. He's not well, a womanizer or anything. Like he is, he is a teenage boy and he has a moment when he's running through those backyards where he stops to introduce himself to the women in the bikinis. But other than that, like he's, he's so committed to Sloan and it's, it's really beautiful. Like their relationship is really beautiful. Yeah. In a way he kind of operates almost like a middle-aged man in a teenager's (laughs) body. Outfits and all. Yeah. 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 Uh, That's, that's where he is more childlike than most teenagers will let themselves be, but then also more mature. Um, Yeah. And that is why he almost feels like he's outside of time and space. Um, and admittedly, this this kind of high school experience is a fantasy world. It's not really there's enough of it that we relate to. But but so much of it is kind of like the fantasy version of of a high schooler's experience. Yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, and then and then there's this great chase all the way home. I think it's been parodied. It's okay. uh, been parodied in commercials. Um, and, and, you know, it's a crazy run through a neighborhood and over uh, through all these neighbor, uh, backyards, yes. um, which is great when he runs through the house smells delicious. <laughs> I was like, Oh my gosh, it's yeah, like it's raising Arizona where you run through someone's house just for a moment. Yeah. Which is so bugs bunny, Like that's very Warner brothers cartoonish. Yeah. I love that. And then the, the, the jump on the trampoline is kind of. Uh, extended in slow-mo again it's it, that almost feels like how they do with mo- movie musicals will extend yeah. time that, that, whole that jump track is he, great that bup, 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 bup. 
it's so perfect yes yes it's you can always hear that that music in your mind uh-huh. uh after you see that movie um and when he's hanging in the air from that trampoline jump it's like while the parents are driving home it almost feels like they are going faster they're going in real time and he's hovering there just to yeah. make us it more unbearable yeah, they really, I mean, we talked about it earlier, but they really do play with time. I didn't realize it so much in this. Like, they play, like, Ferris brings you in by talking to the audience, so you think you're along for the ride, but they even kind of play some little time prank, time jump pranks on the audience, because you're like, oh, it, which is such good pacing. That's such good writing. I don't know how you do that, but he does it continually, and I fall for it every time. Well, and and we have kind of jumped over the day that Edward Rooney is having, which is a which is a Chaplin esque comedy of errors. Yes, you know he he uh, he says some rude stuff to a girl who he thinks is Ferris because she's got a short haircut. Um, oh my he God. gets beat up. He gets chased yeah. by a dog and mud all over him. Yeah, he gets kicked in the face by Jeannie Bueller. Right, he actually <laughs> sneaks into their house. Yeah. He, he gets absolutely drop kicked by uh, Jeannie and which is, is, it's so funny. Like she's so good in this too. And she's a, I always forget that she's in it. Cause she plays such a small role, but cause she's there. Remember that scene at the end there, I always forget Charlie Sheen is in this movie. Right. Charlie Sheen, <laughs> special guest star, Charlie Sheen, <laughs> who is the creepiest dude. You'd never want your daughter to date, absolutely. but very funny. And, very and the dry. whole thing. Yeah. She now she ends up because she ends up at the police station. Yeah, because someone broke into her house. Does she? And at that point, she does not know it is the principal of her school, right? No, she doesn't know yet, and she figures that out afterwards, which is why she saves Ferris. Quote yeah. Unquote. Well, I also think it's her interaction with this street punk played by Charlie Sheen that kind of loosens her up, and 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 he's like, "Hey, you need an adventure. Maybe I'm yeah. your adventure." And she doesn't get to have that adventure. But yeah. this glimpse of like being a bad girl just for a moment, she's like, you know what? Ferris had a great day and I don't care. I like she is she yeah. is she is kind of a villain throughout the movie, and then she she changes to save him. And there is also an element of like the 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 enemy of the enemy is my friend, where once yeah. she she's like, I don't want Rooney to win either. Like because that, that he's the creep that got me in trouble, all this stuff, you know, scared me to death. And so it really is that beautiful moment. But she like, which I didn't think about until I just accidentally said it. But she really does save Ferris at the end. <laughs> <laughs> she does well, and we don't see it coming. We think there are many villains against his yeah. good times during the day. There's yeah. the snooty guy at the at the restaurant. There's his parents discovering him. There's Rooney getting him, and then there's his sister Jeannie, who she wants him dead. And yeah. and we don't. I mean, she kind of has her giddy little moment, her escape with the Charlie Sheen character at the police station that kind of ruffles her feathers and makes her giggle. And then, but we think that's over now that's over. And we don't realize that is going to transform her enough. I just, I never saw it coming when that door opens. We think uh, Rooney says, I got you Ferris. I got you. And we think there's no way out now. And that's a great moment in a movie where you literally, you've been yanked around so much all day that you don't know what's going to happen in these last two minutes. Yeah, truly. They're really, I mean, it it's so, I mean, watching it with my 12-year-old, he was on pins and needles. Like, what is this going to work? Because the whole time you're like, he has to get caught. Like, there's no way. Like, there's so many close calls. It really does feel like old, like old school Hollywood pacing of like a, 
like you said, like Charlie Chaplin or something where you're just like, he narrowly misses the train. He merely misses the roof falling on him. Like how at some point Bugs Bunny has to get caught, you know? Right. Right. We didn't even talk about the, the, the fake version of Ferris that is sleeping with the tape recording of snoring <laughs> and, and, and the, the tape recordings that he has somehow attached to the front uh, intercom at the front door. One of the most unbelievable parts of the, <laughs> that movie is that mannequin, that mannequin that is like Goonies level chicanery. It, it is. <laughs> um and so yeah so so genie saves him and throws his throws throws rooney's wallet at him so that's how we know that she knows yeah who, who broke into her house and the second she slams the door and you hear that dog growl <laughs> um Very tell, me, tell me the actor's name again jeffrey jones jeffrey jones his realization that he is screwed again yeah his face kind of like uh, he looks like we're talking about Bugs Bunny cartoons a lot here. There's like a Sheriff of Nottingham character. There's yeah. like gangster characters in Bugs Bunny cartoons. His reaction is so Chuck Jones cartoon character reaction. When yeah. she slams that door and that dog goes, and his, his eyebrows just go up. And he looks like one of those bad guys, mustachioed bad guys in a Bugs Bunny cartoon. He really does. Like the casting in this is perfect because everybody from Edie McClurg to Jeffrey Jones to, to Ferris to, I mean, they, to the mater d they all do seem kind of like animated archetypes it's yeah so, and they play it so well yep 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 um and so so he oh go ahead go ahead i just i just wonder how much of that was purposeful i would love to talk to you know uh matthew broderick or somebody be like how many times did warner brothers cartoons get brought up on set? <laughs> right and um what an interesting you know we really haven't talked about matthew broderick and how he has to carry the whole movie what an interesting uh, sympathetic clever kind of actor to put in this because you could have had i could see like a michael j fox in this i could see a he was uh, almost cast he was he okay it was him, uh john cusack it was him um, i got it yeah was, i could see that yeah a few of those people who are in the in the zeitgeist you know they were in the they were doing the thing and the same thing i could see ferris as marty mcfly like i think like a lot of those guys had the same kind of, I don't even know. Like they just were likable. You could bring them home to mom, but they were little like rapscallions, you know? Yes. They were, they were clean cut enough. It was a type that got introduced uh, in this time period. Um, what I also liked was it wasn't the, the strongest kid in the room is the hero. It's the most clever, the smartest kid in the room Yeah, who might get beat up in real life. But that's why I was like, Oh, he's my hero. Because like he and Chris Knight and Real Genius, like the smartest guys in the room were way ahead of everybody and they were the heroes. Yeah. And there's no bully in it. Like there's no like, yeah, exactly. Like football player. There, there was, as far as we knew, like Ferris was the coolest guy in school, but not like the, the jock or like the class president. He was just this guy who everybody loved um, and everybody was rooting for, which is also once again if you're trying to fit in in high school and you watch this movie in 1987 it's like that's wish fulfillment right there <laughs> right because that just doesn't happen most it of does. us are most of us are working hard to stay invisible in high school exactly. i know i was yes same um and yeah it, it almost gave you permission to be smart to permission to be a little nerdy yeah. um to dress a little old-fashioned um I, I think that was that was why I love that character. Um, and he actually does get back in bed and play sick right as the parents are walking in. And and that he has one one more ace in his sleeve. And it's the baseball he caught during the baseball <laughs> game. 
and he is able to throw that and at the stereo and shut off the fake snoring. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, seconds before the door, as the doorknob's turning, I think. And he's he's sweaty and and they because he's been running all over the place and they're like, oh, his fever broke. <laughs> it's like yeah, beautiful moment of like oh, like it's such good writing. It just all falls into place. Yeah. Um, what uh, have you ever? There has never been a sequel to this movie. Thank goodness. Have you ever wanted one or are you like, it's perfect? We can't do it. I, I, I am a big fan of, I don't know, I go back and forth, but I, I'm a big fan of letting, the, I think this movie stayed iconic because we didn't have a bunch of sequels. Yeah. Like that happens a lot. Like I, like the same thing with the movie Elf, like that didn't have a bunch of sequels. I think it's, it's iconic. It didn't get ruined, you know, by right. like the lesser cousins of it or whatever. But I mean, I don't even know what you would do with it. I think there's been talks of certain things over the years of meeting up with them 10 years later but i don't even know if we need that it's magic we don't need to you know we don't need to see it yeah there could have been like maybe when he was in college maybe it would have had to be done immediately and and i think it's more by like john hughes is like unless i have a great idea for a day off in college which every day you can kind of keep your own schedule yeah um it's kind of perfect the way it is um and i think the restrictions of high school Yes. are are very uh confining and that's the only that's the game that's the game he's playing all day yeah uh, whereas in college it'd have to be a different game um so to speak yeah um i will say the closest thing i think we're going to get to a sequel i don't know if you've heard about this uh, but the makers of cobra kai mm-hmm. have uh pitched and i believe they have tentatively sold this they've made announcements in the trades uh, I can't remember the names of the two guys in the garage. Oh, but, I have heard this. But if their names are Bob and Dave, you can look it up while I'm talking. But um, <laughs> it's it's basically, you know, Bob and Dave's day off. And it is a going to be a, a limited series about what happened to those two mechanics when they took that red sports yeah. car out for the day. They had their own crazy day we never saw. And I don't know how I really hope they do some kind of movie magic where they literally use the clip from Ferris Bueller where they drop off the car. And yeah. maybe take Alan Ruck and Matthew Broderick and even do some de-aging or something. I would be all for that. I, that would be sacrilege in a sequel, but I think that it would be great to... They're already going to have to recast the two guys from the garage because yeah. I think those guys are either obviously way too old. <laughs> they may have even passed away. I don't know. But they're going to cast two guys to be those mechanics, and they're going to have a crazy day. Okay. this If you're going to do something like that, that's the way to do it. Yeah. And it's kind of like we're not desecrating the original. We're just doing kind of a, I don't know what you, what do you call it? A side quote? Yeah. Yeah. It's the sideways timeline, as they say. Yeah, absolutely. Sam and Victor's day off is what. There it is. you go. Sam and Victor's day off. Uh, whether that makes it all the way to our TV screens or not, they've announced it as if it is coming. So we'll look for it, I guess. Oh, man. I will watch. Absolutely. I want to see, because I want to see. You're right. Like if they tie it back in. I mean, they have to. That's the beauty of it, right? If they land that, or they tie it into the movie, we're like, oh, that looks familiar. Or even if we see them with the parade in the background or something, you know, like there's got to be stuff like that. I would love that. Beautiful. Yeah. Pull a little bit of a Back to the Future too, as they say. Absolutely. And speaking of Back to the Future, you know, that that movie has, has become such a cultural phenomenon where they have like live shows, there's a musical, people yeah. like, uh, people will have screenings where they, dress up and, and, and act it out in front of the screen. I feel like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, it needs a resurgence. We need to all have like a national day off where we all watch the movie and then we all go drive a car and do crazy <laughs> things. Uh, yeah, but that hasn't right. happened yet. 
I know. That seems like a missed opportunity. Maybe they do it, have it in Chicago and we just don't know about it. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, it'd be great to see Broderick do something um, for a national day off. Yeah, he's, he's, he's done work. like, there, he did a Super Bowl commercial a few years ago, I remember. Oh, yeah, right. And there was a really good uh, remake, like Domino's commercial they did with Joe Keery from Stranger Things playing Ferris. And Have you seen this? No, I haven't seen that one. Okay. Yeah, look, look it up. There, yeah, I won't spoil it, but there's some fun little things in it. Um, especially because on YouTube they have a side by side, and it's it is a shot by shot of the of the running through the backyard scene at the end. And he's oh, a he. If they made that movie now, he would. He's a little old for it at this point because I think he's like 26, 27. But so is Matthew Broderick. Um, right? No, think, he would. He would be great. He would be great okay. for that. Great. Well, um, I don't know. Do you have any uh, final words on Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Um, I mean, it's a perfect movie. I wouldn't change anything about it. Um, if you want to hear me talk about it, rewind this podcast to the beginning. Uh, <laughs> no, like I, you, you literally, I know you love it, but do you have any notes at all? Like, well, there's one thing that bugged me or is, or is it just great? I think it's just too solidified into my like upbringing. I'm like, it was into my film development that I just don't, everything makes me nostalgic and makes me happy that I just don't have anything. Um, specifically that stands out but there uh i have nothing i have nothing to say if you want to know more about it i've read a couple of really great john hughes books one of them is literally called life moves pretty fast and it's the lessons we learned from 80s movies and it really does dive into like the intellectual and existential lessons that like we were taught through these types of movies and it's fantastic and it gives you like a, a background on john hughes and what he was thinking when he wrote the movie and stuff it's just I love that kind of stuff. Cause you know, you could see a movie like a silly, you know, this, you like being a filmmaker, you, you see these things you're like, Oh, that was cute. And then you move on with your day, but you're like, no, you don't know how much thought was put into this. Like right. how many conversations and how much was almost this way, but then it turned out this way. I love that kind of stuff. So if you're, if you're into this stuff, like we are, I'd recommend that book. That's great. Um, Life moves pretty fast. Is that what Life it's called? Pretty fast. It's a Ferris Bueller quote. Yeah, it's great. Great. Uh, yeah, check that. I will check that book out. Um, and also, as far as what you're doing while we're wrapping up, uh, the Better Men Film Club is still going. Is there anything else we should know about? Yeah, Better Men Film Club. My podcast is uh, back for season two. Um, we just did our recap of 2022, our favorite films. And then as of today, which I don't know when this is coming out, but we have a uh, we launched a second podcast under the Betterman Film Club umbrella, where we are, it's the Mad Men Rewatch podcast. So we are watching Mad Men all the way through. And what we do with the Betterman Film Club is we watch movies and we talk about it from a film angle, but also what themes in this resonated and like what messaging did men specifically receive either like positive or problematic. And we kind of break that down. And so we're doing the same thing with uh, the television show Mad Men, which is one of my favorites. And my co-host has never seen it. So he's watching it for the first time. I'm watching wow seventh time and we're just kind of talking about all the ins and outs of it so we're watching it it's week to week so if you want to go over to better men film club on spotify or podcast app and do that that's great right. and we need more better men in the world so thanks for being a better man yourself and thanks for uh taking a day off with me if you will and i guess there's only one way to end this podcast nick i'll let you do the honors what you're still here go home the podcast is over Get out of here. Perfect. He'll keep calling me. He'll keep calling me. He'll keep calling me. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. 
Thank you for joining me, Nick Flora. This was a great conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I know a lot of you maybe were remembering it as we talked about it, but if you haven't seen it in a while, watch it. Watch it with a teenager right now. It's as good as you remember it to be. I love breaking down films like this, especially films that uh, I've enjoyed for years and years. And uh, thanks for joining me. Hey, I want to remind you that I have a stand-up comedy special you can go get at drybarcomedy.com or on the Drybar Comedy app. And you can get a free month of their monthly service if you do want to subscribe to their monthly service. Just use my promo code, CoreyComedy, C-O-R-Y-C-O-M-E-D-Y, no spaces, and you'll get a free month. Uh, and that's it for this week. Stay creative. Take a day off yourself. Uh, I'm Corey Edwards. Thanks for stopping by. 